Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. You're in for a real treat today. In the words of our next guest, The world of marketing automation can often feel completely overwhelming. New advice comes out all the time, and there is always a new must-do way to achieve your goals. But our brains sometimes work against us and the technology we use as well. So joining me today to talk it all through is Kenda McDonald, CEO of Automation Ninjas. She was a forensic psychology major before becoming an award-winning business owner and author of the best-selling book, Hack the Buyer Brain, and founder of Automation Ninjas. So please welcome Kenda to the show. Kenda, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? Yeah, go on then. (laughs) (laughs) How'd I do? How was that? How was that intro? Anything to add? (laughs) I'm feeling pretty pumped right now. (laughs) I'm feeling feeling ready to take over the world. (laughs) That's what I love to hear. And you know, when we're about to get radically transparent, I think that there is no better way than to start with a powerful opening. Um, But I do know that for much of our guests, before we talk about where you are today, I do like to get a little radically transparent, if you will, um, with the past, right? Because you can't talk about the present without understanding a little bit of your history. So I was hoping that you might be able to today give us a brief look, perhaps, into your professional journey. Because when we spoke um, and when we Google you, uh, it's quite unique. Um, and I'm, I'm dying to know how you found yourself uh, as founder and CEO of Automation Ninjas. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a bizarre story. So um, I'm currently in the UK. That's where I'm recording from today. Um, but I'm actually from Cape Town in South Africa. And um, I, ca- I came to the UK because I was offered a job placement by the British police force in the UK. So um, I was recruited while I was applying to go to university. I'd done a little bit of work in Cape Town Morgue, done some job shadowing there. I was going into forensics. That was like the route I was going down. I wanted to be um, a forensic uh, psychologist. In particular, I wanted to do criminal profiling and I wanted to put baddies away for a living. That's like, that's what I was geared for, right? Um, And so I obviously got flagged up on some systems. I was approached by a recruitment person who said, you know, like you have all the right, um, you know, you can get an ancestral visa to go to the UK. You have all the right criteria. You have really strong, um, you know, grades and everything. You could come and work in the UK in the police force for a couple of years, and then we will pay for you to go to university. And coming from a family that like didn't have much money, this was amazing to me that I could go and not get into massive amounts of student debt, which is what I was just about to do. But As also, an American, this- I can definitely <laughs> say I feel that pain. I've been there. <laughs> exactly right. So I was like, okay, this sounds awesome. And then the recruitment lady said like the magic words. She said, you know that the mortality rate for the police force in South Africa at that time was around thirty percent. So it was really high. Um, and obviously I'd be working in the South African police force. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of stuff going on. South Africa has some problems that need solving, right? Um, and she said, but the mortality rate in the UK is less than 1%. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> you 
I'm really interested now. Um, so I ended up moving to the UK. And when I came to the UK, they were like, great, you're in the UK. You've got your letter. Yay, exciting. Um, you just have to live in the UK and naturalize first for five years. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you can't join the police force until you've naturalized in the UK. You know, you need to basically either be a citizen or be a permanent resident. And I was like, okay, well, no one told me that. And it was like literally my whole plan for my career just like imploded. And so it was a real struggle. I was really lucky that my mom lived in the UK and I could, I could live with her, but I got odd jobs and stuff. And it was really difficult for me because I am a scholar. Um, and studying is really, really important to me that I suddenly um, was going to be at, at least seven years without going to university. And that puts me way behind on my career path. So it was a, it was a real tough time. And so after about a year and a half of not studying, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I decided that even though I was now an international student, I was going to put myself through at least part of uni so that by the time I joined the police force, I'd be ahead. Um, so I decided I was going to do evening university because that's all I could afford. And I worked four jobs <laughs> at any given time to pay for that. And I would, you know, work during the day, two jobs a day. And then at night time, I would go off and I would study at uni. And one of the jobs I ended up working at, it was a PA for a lady, a PA for a dude who um, ran a marketing automation company. Mm -hmm. And it was just the perfect coincidence of time because I ended up in marketing, something that I had never really thought about before. I'd never encountered. I didn't know marketing automation was a thing. Didn't know email marketing was a thing. I was just a student at uni trying to not, not put food on the table. That's what I, was, I wasn't interested in that, just pay to go to uni because food on the table wasn't quite a possibility at that point. And um, I was just trying to get my way through uni. And it was just such a perfect juxtaposition of time because I was suddenly thrown into the world of marketing and especially marketing automation. And I was like learning about how the brain works and like learning about, you know, profiling and understanding your understanding audiences. And by audiences, I mean, like probably not the kind of audiences most people want, <laughs> but, you know, like trying to understand all the stuff and seeing how the brain works. I was particularly interested in neuroscience. So a lot of my course selection was neuroscience based. And just seeing like how the brain worked and then this total discrepancy of understanding that in marketing really fascinated me. And my boss at the time wasn't the nicest man on the planet. Um, he had some issues, let's say. Um, and he just really wasn't interested in like trying any of these things out. And lo and behold, he ends up shutting his company down. And I just made that decision. He was literally in my house um, crying about the fact that his company was being shut down on the day that he like he asked us to move to a different part of the country. And it was the day that we'd moved into our new place that he came and told me that he was shutting the company down. And I was like, what? It was just so tumultuous because I put my uni degree on hold to move and get everything. It was just such a, it was such a tough time. And I, I remember leaving him in my bedroom and walking out into the hallway, grabbing my husband, who was then my fiance at that time, and going outside and saying, look, we've just lost our jobs. He's shutting his company down. I think we should start a company. And just seeing my husband's face be like, what? And I was like, look, I think we can like really make a go of this. Like we can take all the stuff that I've been wanting to try, that I've been learning from uni about like how the brain works and stuff. And we can adapt marketing. We can like, you know, make little tweaks and changes. And we can teach people this. Like we can show people like how the stuff actually works. And I think we could make a real difference for people. And he was like, okay. 
thank goodness my husband is very tolerant. What a supportive husband. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's so great. He's so tolerant. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to be super transparent. It was a pretty bad time. Like it was, it wasn't bad, like starting the business up. It was just the fact that I'd already abandoned my, my dreams at that point of like, you know, I'd so carefully laid out my career path and like, I was always a straight A student and I'd worked everything to getting into a good university to leave that behind, to come to the UK, to totally feel betrayed by the system at that point in time. Then to like struggle for years, like trying to scrape money together as an international student and pay for like heavy university fees. And then to like put that on hold so that I could, you know, develop this career path and, and help my boss grow his business to then be let down there. And I was like, I feel like the world is telling me something at this point. I think I just need to try. And yeah, six years later, I, you know, actually, yeah, it was a really tough time. And we, we flew from that point onwards. It, it was literally like everything had aligned for us. And yes, you make your own luck in life. I firmly believe that you make your own luck in life. And we worked really hard to get to where we are now. Um, but I spent a couple of years in the business, like tweaking and refining and taking that psych psychology understanding and the stuff that I learned from my degree and applying that to marketing. And people started asking questions and they started being like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that that way? Why are you doing it like that? You know, that's not what the current advice is. And I started tentatively explaining it, thinking that as I'd explained to my boss, I'd get shot down and people were like, wow, that's amazing. I need to know more. And I was, it was so cool. It was like, it was like a, a phoenix from the fire if you're going to get super corny about it. But like people just got really excited and I decided I would write a book. I decided I would, you know, try and get it out to as many people as possible. And now I talk all over the place. You know, Automation Ninjas does really well as a result of it. We've helped hundreds of businesses. I have a best-selling book. I speak on global stages. It's, it, it's great now, but it wasn't always easy. It was a struggle getting to this point. I often think of all the hurdles that we had to overcome and like how we could have fallen at any of them. There's but a we didn't. ton of hurdles when starting a new company, when starting something new. But I have to say, there's no success sweeter than from accidental marketers, right? Yeah. And I think for anyone listening, I, I know we have a huge crowd of accidental marketers. I, I, I'm sure they're cheering right now because accidental <laughs> marketers do great things. Um, with that, so I have a question before I hop into kind of my famous question that all of our guests are asked. Can you just give us that elevator pitch of what is Automation Ninjas? Okay, sure. We are, um, we're a behavioral marketing automation agency, which is a massive uh, mouthful. But really what it is, is we help people understand consumer behavior. We help people understand how the brain works. And um, we help them construct that into a customer journey that will work for their consumers. Um, and then we help them automate it. So it's all the way through from the consultancy, through to the content creation, through the marketing automation. So anything that you're going to do to get better quality leads, higher conversion rates, uh, longer customer lifetime value, all that stuff, we're about that, the long-term, really impactful results for businesses. So it, it breaks up into consultancy content and marketing automation, but it's bringing those two things together. It's being the brain and the marketing together, that's our speciality. That's why it's behavioral marketing automation. I think that's really interesting. And for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> the brain is very complex. 
I say that as no stranger. Um, we've definitely in my family, uh, my husband, he is a survivor of brain cancer. So I've seen brain scans and we've had a lot wow. of discussion about the complexities of the brain. So I can't imagine, Ken, that there is a shortage of anything keeping you up at night professionally when it comes to behavioral marketing. So I'm going to open up the floor. Um, could you share with us at this time, if there is anything, uh, what keeps you up at night professionally? Oh gosh, this is a this is a bugbear of mine, and it's it's a recent-ish bugbear. Um, behavioral psychology and behavioral economics, especially behavioral economics, is a very new field. It shouldn't be a new field, but it is a new field. And the advances in technology have really allowed us to understand how the brain works. Without that, we would still be guessing on evolutionary psychology and not, and not getting anywhere, right? But, you know, being able to not only have fMRI scanners, but have like fMRI scanners inside universities where they can do experiments and they can run this kind of stuff have just given us amazing insights into how the brain works. And parts of this have trickled down into marketing. But the problem with this, and this is the thing that really keeps me up at night, I go to conferences and I watch people giving advice based on psychology <laughs> and I stand there and I go, oh my God, that is terrible advice. <laughs> and that's the thing that keeps me up at night is like the, the, the wealth of really poor advice out there. And not, I'm not saying that like I give the best advice in the world. That's, that's not the angle I'm coming at this from. It's, it's purely the angle of... There is so little understanding in a lot of marketing as to how the brain actually works and it's applied so poorly to marketing. And it means that, you know, like I go to conferences and I see people like maybe at a UX conference or maybe at an SEO conference being like, this is one hack that you can do. You can use this cognitive bias to like get an uplift of 50% on your, you know, conversions on this landing page. And I'm like, okay. That's one tiny little thing that you've taken the end point, but you haven't understood why that's happening. And when you understand why it's happening, that's where the insight comes from that you can apply to your business. So many people don't have that. And that's, that really frustrates me. It's, it's, there is so much bad advice and so much pop psychology out there where people are like, oh, these colors are really important. No, they're not. <laughs> they're just, they're not, not, not in the way that you think they are. Um, I, I just kind of, I get really frustrated about that. And, and I don't want to come across as like elitist or anything that that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are some really fundamental things that you can understand about your consumers. And when you understand those fundamental things, all the other bits make sense and then you can apply it. Right. But unfortunately, that advice that is given out there isn't coming from that fundamental understanding. It's coming from a little piece of pop psychology that's filtered down from somewhere else mm -hmm. and is then being incorrectly applied and being given as like concrete, rote advice. You have to do this. This is the way to do it. And it's just not true. So that definitely keeps me up at night because I'm always terrified yeah. of how many people I can go feel it. <laughs> I mean, we have the whole movement now with, you know, fake news. I think, Kendall, you might be onto something about, you know, uh, hashtag fake marketing advice. Um, but with that, I want, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that, right? Because, you know, it, it is, I mean, you think about conferences, you think about all the different webinars you're listening to, even this podcast you're listening to, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what advice are you going to take with you as a marketer? What are you going to leave behind? And I want to ask, what do you think some of the biggest challenges 
that you see marketers facing? You mentioned a few with colors or, you know, uh, CX or SEO, but what do you think are the biggest challenges facing marketers today when it comes to hacking, as you called it, the buyer brain? Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely got to be, yes, there's base understanding, but there's, there's one particular part around it. It's, it's understanding the purchase decision that the brain makes. And that's a massive challenge because we are creating everything all the time to get a purchase decision. That's what we're doing. Everything that we do, everything in marketing is catered around the purchase decision. And people might say it's, it's relationships. It's not relationships. We're building relationships because we want a purchase decision, right? We're doing all of these things because we want someone to make a purchase decision. We want them to buy from us. We want them to convert. And there isn't anything wrong with that. We have to do that in order to run business, right? Otherwise, we don't have a service that we can offer if we can't sell it. So everything we're trying to do is to get people to a positive purchase decision. And then, and the frustration is that there is so much conflicting advice around that. And I think that's a real challenge for marketers, not understanding how to structure things to get to that purchase decision. And just the, the C, I mean, I, I looked this up the other day. I, I typed something, I typed something in around um, how people make, um, how people buy or something like that or something along those terms. And there was like a, several million results came up and I was like, okay, just looking on the front page for that there were four or five different conflicting pieces of advice. And I think that is just so huge. Like, how do you decide who to listen to? How do you decide who to follow, who like, who's, what to experiment with? Because hopefully you're experimenting with things as well and not necessarily just taking it as the way to do it. Like, how do you decide that? So I think probably the biggest challenge we face is that, that understanding of psychology. Like if you can get that understanding of psychology, suddenly all those decisions become a little bit easier because you understand why the brain is doing that. And you can go, okay, well, if the brain is doing that thing, then I know that that's not going to help. That thing over there, I can safely ignore that. Um, And I feel like if you've got that, suddenly you become a little bit unstoppable because you're like, okay, well, I can ignore that advice. I can ignore that. And you can niche in on the things that are actually going to make a difference to your audience and your unique like circumstances. So that's how I see the big challenge. I know lots of marketers will see that differently, but that purchase decision and the, the kind of advice around it, that's, that's, an, that's a major issue. So, so that's, that's definitely interesting because when I think about even a major of marketing or corporations and their responsibility, perhaps to like train marketers up on the job, right? You can be handed a piece of technology and train them on the technology, or you can be, you know, you join a company and you're fed kind of the the Kool-Aid, if you will, of the the company to really understand the mission and the product, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think in any onboarding I've ever had that there has ever actually been a psychology snippet or onboarding to understand the brain. So that could be an interesting piece to start kind of intertwining that into a marketing uh, onboarding experience. But I actually want to shift the conversation um, to pricing. And so, so prior, so I also, I am a complete accidental marketer. Um, Before being a marketer, I was in sales for like 10 plus years and pricing, right. For a salesperson, a marketer, it's, it's always it's always a hot topic, right? Because when do you reveal your pricing? At what point in the sales cycle do you say how much you cost without your prospects falling on the floor? In marketing, you know, we're starting to see this interesting trend of radically transparent companies putting pricing on websites that perhaps never was on the website before. You used to have to talk to a salesperson. 
So I want to ask you, as someone who really is an expert in behavioral marketing and really knows the brain pretty well, right? Marketing, or sorry, pricing, websites, um, is there a best practice in terms of putting pricing on the website or should we not be pricing on the website? What does that look like from your point of view? How do our brains react to that? Because I know for me, like when I see a price on the website, I kind of feel relieved. Um, But at the same time, depending on that number, I probably don't. So can I ask for any insight into the pricing page? Yeah, sure. So I am a massive advocate for pricing and for specific reason. Um, So when it comes to, we have to think about the fact that people don't want to reach out to sales. They just don't. They don't want to, they don't want to be sold to. And if they are going to reach out to sales, they want to be armed with enough information that they feel like they can make a decision without being influenced. Because sales has got a long history of in trying to influence a purchase decision, which is exactly what we're doing, right? Um, and, and people don't like that. They don't feel like they don't like being um, like feeling like they're being led down a certain path. When you put your pricing up on a page, it does something very, very specific for the brain. It sets the it sets the scene, right? And you set the frame that that the person is perceiving things through. So um, let me wind that back a little bit. We have two different parts of our brain that we use to pay attention to the world. Um, so this was originally, if you're a fan of Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, l- lots of people will have read that, especially if you're interested in the psychology element of things. Um, so uh, Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, came up with the fact that we have these two separate systems that we use to understand the world around us. And the one system is automatic and the other one is manual. And the automatic system is taking in like 11 million bits of information per second. And the more manual system is taking in 40 bits of information per second. And the real discrepancy between those, aside from how much information they're taking in, is that when we are doing our marketing, we try and do our marketing to the 40 bits of information per second. And the reason we try and do that is because the the system number two, the more manual system, is what we like to think of as our consciousness. We like to think of that as the cognitive miser, the, the person who is making the decisions, who is in the driving seat. That is the person we are trying to talk to, the human. The other part is just an automatic system that runs in the background and, and is kind of just dealing with other tasks. So when we create our marketing materials, we create it for the human. Um, the problem is we have to get through the automatic system in order to get to the human. And so what happens around pricing and around understanding uh, pricing and the, the part that it plays in a purchase decision is that people will have a frame set and the frame is set by the automatic system. And that's how it then it benchmarks it compared to everything else. So you have an option. If you put your pricing on a website and you give supporting content as to why your pricing is that pricing and what good it looks like in the industry. And I always advocate having lots of supporting content around pricing. So explaining to people, you know, maybe you can't put your price on the website. Maybe you can't say it's $14.99. Maybe you have to be like, it depends. That's okay. Give people a ballpark and tell them why it depends. So if you can arm people with that information, what you are doing is you are actually feeding information to that automatic system. And that sets the benchmark. And that automatic system, if it's good quality information, will start comparing all other pricing that it sees to your price, right? And that is an amazing cognitive bias that we need to pay attention to. The fact that that benchmarking is going to happen. Um, it's called um, 
coherent arbitrariness, the fact that we are always arbitrarily going to set a baseline for something and we're going to benchmark it to it. So you have a choice. You can be the benchmark and you can set the frame that people see and make decisions around, or you can allow your competition to do it for you. And that is why I always advocate putting pricing on because you're setting the benchmark, you're controlling as much as you can. And you're saying, yeah, you can, we charge $14.99. Other people may charge $5.99, but here's why we charge $14.99. And you justify your pricing and you show people that you are the best because you charge these things. And now, even though you're more expensive, when people are now thinking about other things, they're going, oh, but they don't offer this. And they don't offer this thing. And they don't offer this thing. So maybe they're not as good as the other company that's three times the price, right? So you are now setting the benchmark that the brain is now comparing everything towards. So you can then get both systems' attention and use that to your benefit. If my mic wasn't so expensive, I would totally drop it right now. That was an incredible (laughs) explanation. And it really has me thinking about our pricing page and our pricing content. Uh, Kenda, that was was phenomenal. Um, So listen, I, I have two more questions for you. So the first I want to ask is about failures. And I hate to rain on the parades after we just had this kick tush, my toddler's nearby, but a kick tush explanation, um, you know, of the pricing page. And, and, you know, you shared some of the struggles in the beginning of your journey, uh, kind of transitioning into marketing. Um, But failures are an inevitable inevitable part of success. And I think we all know that. Um, Could you share perhaps one or some uh, of yours that perhaps seemed risky and, and maybe not the one about starting your own business because we see, <laughs> we see how that panned out, um, but perhaps seemed risky at the time or like a complete fail after it happened. But actuality, when looking back, it's helped you get where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the things, <laughs> one of the things is actually writing my book, funnily enough. Um, and that was because it took me so long to research everything in the book. Everything in the book is cited. Everything is you know, backed up by ridiculous amounts of evidence because it is based on science. You have to cite it and you have to make sure that you've got data to back up what you're saying. You can't just make stuff up. Um, but the, the amount of time that it took me to sit down and write the book and, and really devote myself to that, I had a conversation with my accountant and my accountant went, if you don't stop writing that book and go and make some sales, you're going to need to shut your company down. And that made me really angry. (laughs) I don't like being told I can't do things. So what did I do? I went off and literally went away for two weeks and just ignored the business for two weeks and finished writing the book, which was direct (laughs) professional advice that I ignored. That was crazy, crazy risky. Um, and yes, I, I pretty much nearly tanked the business because of it, but <laughs> it got me to an amazing position because I was in a point where I was, um, if you've ever read Carl Newport's book, Deep Work, I was, I was deep working. And his whole premise is that you need to give yourself space to go in depth into something. And I was so deep that I couldn't think of anything else. Um, so that was crazy risky and I think my husband was pulling his hair out as supportive as he is. He's got a limit as well. Um, and everyone around me was just like, wow, you're a psycho at the moment. But yes, it was, it was extremely risky um, and it was extremely difficult. And then when I, <laughs> the worst thing was I finished the book and it hadn't been edited yet um, because there was a backlog in editing and I gave it to somebody who was going to write the foreword for the book for me. 
and I gave him the book and I said, it's not been edited. And I'm not, I'm, I'm a skim reader. I'm not a good person for editing. Please ignore spelling mistakes. I know you're going to write the forward. This is enough for you to get the gist of what the book is going to be about to write the forward so that we can edit it. And he wrote an email back and he said that your writing is like padded high school essays. And I probably just cried for about two days because <laughs> I'd thrown everything that I had for that period of time into that book. And I tried so hard to make sure that I was, you know, creating something that was good and that was going to help because that's all I care about is making the world a slightly better place than, than when I woke up in the morning. And like I'd thrown everything into that book and it was everything in my life. And then I just got told that it was crap. <laughs> I was like, no, what have I done? I've ruined my business. Um, and it worked out okay after editing, um, because my editors, I had two editors and they were both great. It sounds great. It sounds like me. I've written it in a very different way so that it sounds like a person just talking to you rather than reading like an academic textbook, which is what a lot of books like this are about. There's a lot of humor in it, um, you know, and it's easy reading. It's made for small business owners, you know, or like busy marketing managers. You don't have time to get into the academics of things just, you know, to get stuff done. So that was super risky. And I totally thought it was going to be a failure. And the entire time that I was launching the book, I had that in the back of my mind. Wow. That people were going to read it and they were going to see that I was a bad writer. And that was going to be the end of it. But it's a bestseller now. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> can, you, can you remind us all? Um, I know everybody listening in now is dying to get a handle on this book. Can you share the title of this book? Yeah, it's, uh, it's Hack the Buyer Brain. Half the Buyer Brain. So we'll all grab a copy of Half the Buyer Brain. Um, we will all connect with you on LinkedIn, uh, let us, letting you know uh, our thoughts on, on the book. Um, and with that, it, it leads me actually to my last question. And we've learned so much about you on this show. So this might be a very tricky one for you to answer. Um, but I was hoping that you could share with us to conclude, what's the one thing that we cannot learn from this podcast, from your LinkedIn profile, and you're pretty impressive when we Google you search. Um, what's one thing we can learn about you? We know you have an amazing supportive husband uh, that we can't learn anywhere else. Um, you can probably figure it out from my Instagram profile, but I don't think you can get it from anywhere else and you'd only get it from my stories. But I am a crazy gardener. <laughs> Which people really? just don't think is going to be like a thing. But I am obsessed with my garden. We have a crazy veggie patch. We try and grow all of our own vegetables for the year, um, vegetables for the year in our garden. Like we literally just finished our potatoes from last year yesterday. So, um, and like, I love my, my, um, my borders. I have borders. I have a cut flower garden. So we're like, we're totally crazy gardeners. And like, I had wild mushrooms this weekend because we go foraging. So we're like, we're crazy outdoor people. And people don't expect that at all. <laughs> I, I did not expect that. I'm also afraid to say I kill all plants. So if you have any advice, not only for the behavioral marketing brain and pricing pages, but to keep plants alive, perhaps that will need to be a, 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 another show because I just, I have no, I killed a cactus. I mean, truth be told, that's hard to do. <laughs> there's one tip for anybody who has plants. Don't water, don't water your pots on a schedule. Like especially your houseplants and your cactuses, feel them, feel what they weigh when you haven't watered them and then feel what they weigh just after you've watered them. They're significantly heavier. 
and only water your pots when they need to be watered. So, you know, yes, have like a day you go around and water everything, but also pay attention to how heavy the pot is. There's your tip. Kendra, you're the best. We now know about the brain, the marketing brain and plants. Um, For anyone listening in, I know after the show, we like to go and follow. We like to support our guests. Where can anybody reach you if they would like to speak more about the bio brain, about understanding a little bit more about what you do or find you to connect with you to continue the conversation? LinkedIn is definitely the best. It's just Kendra McDonald on LinkedIn. Um, I do have Twitter, but I'm not very active on Twitter. Um, it's underscore Kendra McDonald on Twitter. There's another Kendra McDonald, but she's not me. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter is great. And you can also just hit up the website. There's tons of free stuff on the website. So that's just automationninjas.com. Fantastic. Kenda, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.